0: This is our last Sunday with the Being the Church for Battle Creek uh, series that started way back uh, on Pentecost Sunday, um, back in May. And uh, we've been following through the book of Acts and, like I said, pretty much every week. It's not chapter by chapter, verse by verse, but kind of following some of the major narratives. Um, This week we're going to kind of take a big jump. We're going to skip a good portion of the second half of Acts and jump to the very last little bit. And so if you're interested about what's going on, I encourage you, Acts is not a huge book. You can read through it in a little bit, but if you're like, hey, I wanted to know the rest of the story, I encourage you to do some devotional reading or study through the book of Acts. Uh, I hope it's been interesting to kind of look behind the scenes a little bit of what's been going on in the life of the early church and how the gospel went from this small group of people in Galilee region, this little nowhere place, following this rabbi Jesus, and turned into a message that went and actually posed a threat to the Emperor and the largest empire in the world during those days It's quite a story if you think about it and and this week we like I said we kind of land land that plane we kind of end our journey in the book of Acts. Um, But as we get started, um, I I think I've shared some of this before, and some of you may know this. But for a while, I was a uh, motorcycle safety coach, certified rider safety coach with the Motorcycle Safety Foundation, which meant I taught beginner rider courses, Um, people that had wanted to get their motorcycle license. Some people had never even touched a motorcycle before. Some people were there because the judge ordered them to be there, um, and, and then all the way in between. And this course was divided, it was a 20 hour course and half of that was in the classroom talking about the mechanics of making a motorcycle do what you want it to do, um, but most importantly how to make a motorcycle do what you want to do safely, like strategies to be safe when you're out on the road, not just how to make a motorcycle stop and start, but like how to be safe, how to get home when you're done riding, that type of thing. That was the first half, 20 of this 20 hour class. The second half, we went out to a place that we called The Range. It was basically a parking lot with cones, but we called it The Range because we like to sound technical and important. Um, And The Range was the place we had motorcycles lined up. So there was up to 12 students in this class. And there was these smaller motorcycles, like 250cc, if that means anything to you, um, motorcycles out here on this parking lot. And we would go out and teach these 12 riders how to ride. And if I was to be honest, the first several years I taught that, that was some of the most terrifying moments. The classroom was good, but going out and getting on the bikes with 12 inexperienced people who were all going to ride at the same time in the same space was a little nerve-wracking. Now the thing was, we had spent a lot of time in the classroom talking about riding a motorcycle. We had... Pictures of this is a clutch lever, this is a brake lever, this is the throttle, this is how you change gears, this is how you start and stop safely. Right, we had a whole like, lecture, a whole curriculum on how to operate a motorcycle safely, yet when we went out and actually got on the motorcycles, there was a difference between knowing that information and doing it. Right? <laughs> there was a big difference between knowing that information and executing that. Um, And and I think being a rider safety coach uh, taught me a lot (laughs) about pastoring, um, about teaching in general. But the ultimate truth that I I wanted to share from that was that information is not the same thing as action. Knowledge is not the same thing as ability, right? Um, And it's definitely not the same thing as transformation, so um, I want to share uh, a couple slides this morning. If you got the first slide you no, know, is, is there one with, like, uh, that's the one. So every week uh, when I go to prepare the sermon for the week, this is what I start with. This is my blank, and I hope you can see it. I kind of expanded it. This is my, my template that I start with. Um, when I read the scriptures for the week, The first thing I do is come up with the essence of the text. That's my way of trying to summarize the scripture that I read. And I really wrestle trying to get that down into one sentence. I want to be able to to say, this is what this story was about. This is what, I mean, there's obviously more depth and more layers to it. But in one sentence, if somebody said, what's that scripture about? I want to be able to say that. And then kind of underneath that is essence of the sermon. If somebody wanted to say, what are you preaching about this week? I want to be able to say in one sentence what the sermon is about. And then from there, I've got the you should and it's you should know and why you should know that and you should do and why you should do that. And and this is something that I've developed over time because I've come to the realization that information about God is not the same thing as a life following God. right? That information about Jesus is not the same thing as being a disciple of Jesus. And so it's important that you know things, but I've added the, do things do we have the next slide yeah so this will be harder to see because it's smaller but this is actually my sermon notes i'm looking at the same thing um so essence of the text paul arrives in rome lives under house rest for two years and proclaims the gospel in rome that's the scripture that's the summary of the scripture that we're doing the essence of the sermon this is actually believe it or not a little bit wordier than what i like to have this is a compound sentence. <laughs> there's a comment in there and i like to have it simple but uh, it says, a faith that stays in Jerusalem, I don't know why I'm looking up there, I have it right here, a faith that stays in Jerusalem that doesn't confront kingdoms of the world is a faith that refuses to declare the good news that all nations and all people are invited to surrender their independence and power, then pledge their allegiance to Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And then there's the, the what I want you to know and what I'd like for you to do, the invitation and as I'm going through my sermon and I'm preparing, like if stuff doesn't fall within these buckets, they get, it gets left out, it gets cut off. Some, some really good stuff. There's a lot of information and commentaries. There's a lot of things that I've learned over studies over the year, but if it doesn't fit in, in that, this is what I wanna preach, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't get on. And the idea behind that, like I said, is information is not the same thing as transformation. Information is not the same thing as action or ability. And so we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 28, and you've already heard kind of the punchline of the sermon, um, but stick with me. Uh, Acts 28, verses 16 through 31. And like I said, this is wrapping up the book of Acts. So we've been on a journey from uh, the disciples being in a room, kind of hiding out, being afraid after Jesus is crucified, all the way to here where the story ends. Um, This is the last little bit of Acts 28, 16 through 31. Uh, It'll be on the screen. You can follow along on your Bibles or your Bible apps if you have that as well. Um, It says, when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of Of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you, is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there have reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them, about jesus Uh, we jump to verse 30 cutting on a little bit there and it says for two whole years paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him he proclaimed the kingdom of god and taught about the lord jesus christ with all boldness and without hindrance Uh, pray with me if you will heavenly father we are grateful for this story from the life of paul where he found himself in Rome as a prisoner um, under house arrest, but the last words we read were that he preached the gospel of of the kingdom without hindrance. (laughs) Being on house arrest, being arrested, didn't stop him from sharing the message that he had been called to share. Father, we ask that you would use this story this morning, that your spirit would quicken things in our minds and in our hearts, so that we too may declare the good news of the kingdom of God with all boldness and without hindrance. In your son's name we pray, amen. If you remember a few weeks ago, uh, I talked about the last words that Jesus gave his disciples. Right? He he said, go, right? The Great Commission. Go into all the world, go into Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth with this gospel message. And then uh Pentecost Sunday, he gives the Spirit, the Holy Spirit arrives and it empowers them and it it, it equips them to go into the whole world. And then it seems like they just hang out in Jerusalem. Chapter after chapter in the book of Acts, the events are happening in there in the book of Jerusalem or in the city of Jerusalem. And it wasn't until uh, Acts 13, where Paul and Barnabas are commissioned, did the gospel go outside of Jerusalem? That's when Acts really starts to, to to get going. Things start happening. They started to go, as Jesus commanded. Now the question comes up, well, where were they going? <laughs> Why were they going? Was there a destination in mind? Where Where did the story of this Jewish rabbi, this Jesus, who has... Uh, become king of all creation? Where did this story need to go? The book of Acts ends in no other place than in Rome. Right? Paul arrives in Rome as a prisoner, having been accused of crimes in Jerusalem. He appeals to Caesar because he was a Roman citizen, so it's like appealing your case to the Supreme Court. And so he went on this journey back, well, to Rome, to have the Caesar... Hear his case. The best estimates are that Paul arrived in Rome about 30 years after Jesus was crucified. So don't think that like it was like the week after or something. Like this is like 60 AD, 61, 62 AD. And by the time he gets to Rome, he's kind of a celebrity. People know who he is, right? And so when he he talks to the people that come to visit him, he says, "I don't have any any charges. I don't have any problem with." Jews, I'm not here to stir up trouble for, for you guys. Um, but I hope you haven't heard bad things about me. And they said, no, we haven't heard. Nobody's written letters. Nobody has said bad things about you. But we are curious. We've heard about this new sect. We've heard about this group, these Christians. And we want to know more. And so the crowd wants to come and hear what Paul has to say. And so during his two years in Rome, Paul preaches the gospel to anyone who would come visit him. Like, he couldn't go out. He was on house arrest. But... They could come visit him. And he did, and a lot of people came to visit him. There's a point in Paul's story where he's set free, and he goes back out and starts preaching the gospel all over the place, and then he gets in trouble again, and he he ends up getting arrested, um, this time with a, a different emperor, different people in charge. And he's given a merciful death of beheading as the punishment for his crimes against the empire. Um, There's another character in the story of of Acts, Peter, which we kind of followed for a little bit, one of his sermons and some of the other activities in his journey of faith, and Peter goes to Rome as well, right? You may know Peter, if you know your Catholic church history, you may know that Peter was viewed as the first bishop of Rome, and the bishop of Rome becomes the pope, and so Peter was, is viewed through tradition as the first pope in Rome. So Peter gets to Rome as well. So Paul had to go to Rome. Peter had to go to Rome. Peter gets persecuted as well, though, and he is crucified in a slow and torturous death. So Peter and Paul both gave their lives bringing the gospel of Jesus to the doorstep of the emperor. They both gave their lives in order to bring this gospel to Rome why did they have to go to Rome? Like of all the world that they could to, could go to, why did Peter and Paul have to go to Rome and give their lives to share this message? I mean, honestly, there was safer places to do church. <laughs> there were safer places to be the church. There were safer places. Like Paul could have just kept writing letters his whole life. Why did he have to go to Rome? Obviously, he was a prisoner. Um, but he's the one that appealed to Rome. It was his choice. But there was places that their presence wouldn't have been viewed as a threat. There was places they could have kind of hid in the shadows and not been on the emperor's radar. Why did the gospel have to go to Rome? I mean, couldn't these Jesus followers just kind of stayed in their own communities, shared their experiences, their testimonies, live their life as Christians with their families, live lives of study, lives of prayer, lives of faith in their own homes like why rome and the answer to that question how we answer that question has everything to do with what we understand jesus's life to be all about right what was the purpose and the mission behind jesus's life was jesus here to teach us information about god and then give us a ticket to heaven when we die obviously jesus did teach us information about god and jesus opened the way for us to spend all eternity with God. I'm not denying any of that. But there was more to the life of Jesus than giving us information about his father. If it was Jesus' mission to, to teach us some info and open up a gate for us after we die, then going to Rome probably wasn't necessary. Paul and Peter could have lived out their faith wherever they were. If the gospel was this private message to individuals, then Peter and Paul could have just stayed where they were and lived their lives in faith. But if the mission of Jesus, if the life of Jesus had a a deeper purpose beyond just sharing information and teachings, but if the life of Jesus was focused on confronting the kingdoms of this world, if if the life of Jesus had something to do with with, uh, confronting the powers that shaped this world if if the life of jesus had something to do with healing the brokenness in this world and the causes of brokenness in this world if jesus's life had the purpose of bringing life and healing and redemption to people living in this world then the gospel had to go to rome because rome was the place that was shaping the world the way that it was Rome was so big, so massive, and so powerful, it was shaping the way that these people's lives were, from from the poorest uh, servant to the richest person. Their lives were being shaped by this empire that had conquered most of the world that they knew about. And so when they saw the brokenness, when they saw the suffering in the world, Rome was behind that. The way that Rome organized itself caused that. Rome was the place shaping the world, and so it shaped the world the ways that were not how God wanted it to be, and so it, it had to be the destination. The gospel of Jesus had to go to Rome because the mission of Jesus was not to provide information about God's kingdom, but to actually reveal the presence of that kingdom on earth right then and there. You remember the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples? To pray, may God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There was something in the mission of Jesus about transforming, about confronting the things, the realities as they are now, and transforming them into the image that God would have them to be. May earth be shaped the way that God wants it to be, as it is in heaven. May this place right now be shaped and created in the image, in the form that God intended it to be. God created things and it was good, but things have gotten off track. And so there's other powers at work, shaping the world, forming the world. So the gospel was not just a private announcement to individuals about going to heaven when they die. The gospel was a public declaration to the entire world proclaiming that the kingdom of God had come. And God... Is reigning over all the nations through his son Jesus Christ. This was the message. This was the gospel. And Paul and Peter and the others knew this good news. They heard that Jesus was king over all of creation and was at work restoring and redeeming these things. And they said, We have got to go and confront the powers that are corrupting this world. And so they went and they stood right under the nose of the emperor right in the heart of Rome and said there's a new king who rules this place you think you're in charge but there's a new king who rules this world and then they had the boldness (laughs) to say submit to that king (laughs) and ruler of this whole world Jesus Christ the gospel had to go to Rome because only in Rome could the powers of this world be confronted with the truth that they were no longer in charge They needed to hear it. There was a victory won on the cross. There's a new king. The earth is under control of a new king. You're no longer in charge. You no longer have authority here. You no longer get to say how this world works. You can try, you can fight, but Jesus is king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. He's the ruler of heaven and earth, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end they had to go to Rome and say, Jesus is your king. Paul boldly took that message to Rome to confront the very powers from which God was claiming authority over. Paul and Peter went to Rome to declare that Jesus was king. And they did so with their actions and with their words. So what does this have to do with us some 2,000 years later? Obviously, Rome is not what it once was. It's just a city in Italy kind of a touristy place. You, know, you can go get some pizza, I guess. I don't know. Um, no, I like. I, has anybody been to Rome? Anybody? A couple of folks? Uh, it's on my bucket list. I'd love to go visit. But it's not really a threat anymore, right? It's not shaping the way we live our lives today. So Rome is just a city in Italy. But what does it mean to be a church that proclaims the gospel of Jesus today? Do we understand that the, the work that God is doing in the world is bigger than just sharing some information? Do we believe that God has a plan for this world that we live in right now? I mean, we, we know that God has a plan for us when we pass to the next life, right? But does, do we believe that God has a plan for the world in this life? Do we believe that God is working right now to confront the powers of this world that lead to brokenness, pain, suffering, death can we as a church pray your will be done in battle creek as it is in heaven are we bold enough to see our part in confronting those powers and the kingdoms of this world now obviously there isn't a roman emperor there isn't a roman empire that we can point to and say ah that's that's the enemy we need to go share the message there There isn't a a Rome making Battle Creek, for example, the way that Battle Creek is today. But we can see things that are at work in our lives. They're at work in our families, in our schools, in our places of employment. They're at work in our churches. They're at work in our communities that work against the redemptive and transformational work of God. Can you see that while there isn't one big Rome anymore, that there's a lot of little rooms present in our lives and in the lives of people we care deeply about there are forces at work that seek to destroy that seek to kill that seek to I- inflict pain suffering and death and as i stand here this morning i can tell you with absolute certainty that no amount of information is going to change that reality no amount of information about god will bring transformation that God wants for us no amount of knowledge about God is going to bring the healing that our world needs Libraries are full of books bookstores Amazon.com is full of books about the Christian life We have more resources available than ever in the history of Christianity And it's hard for me to say this Having a lot of books is not going to fix it <laughs> I love books <laughs> Right? No amount of information, knowledge, is going to bring the transformation that God wants for us. No amount of Christian conferences or concerts or movies or programs will bring about the change that God wants for us and his creation. At some point, the gospel truth that Jesus is Lord, that he is King, has to confront the very things that currently claim authority in our lives. At some point, we have to confront the sin in our lives and the sin in our communities with the power, the grace, and forgiveness of Christ. There has to be a meeting between those two. At some point, we have to confront the hate present in our lives with the love of Jesus Christ. At some point, we have to confront the pain and suffering and hurts of our past with the forgiveness and healing of Jesus Christ. At some point, we have to look our enemies in the face and love them the way that Jesus tells us to. We can study, we can learn, we can attend programs, events, but there will always be required a moment for all of us to ask if we believe enough to act. It's not just about what's in our mind, but is it... Do we have the boldness of Paul to go, I'm going to Rome? There's something at work here that's shaping things the way they shouldn't be. I know that Jesus wants to be king of that as well. There comes a moment where we have to decide to declare Jesus is king with our actions and with our words. Are we willing to believe enough? Are we willing to trust enough to confront the darkness that is present in us in our homes, and in our communities? Can we declare Jesus as king with our actions and with our words? And if, if so, if we look at uh, yourself or if you look at your family or your home, your school, where you work, where you live, your neighborhood, your county, your country, however you look at it, when you look at it and say, something's not quite right here. There's something shaping us the wrong way we're being misshaped we're being misformed by something things are not as they should be. Those in control and, and the powers that rule and shape this world are really making a mess of things. You should know that God is calling his church to be the ones to take the gospel. The announcement that Jesus is king take that message into the very heart of those dark places and bring love grace forgiveness and hope by declaring with our actions and with our words that jesus is indeed king and jesus alone is king and then invite others to surrender their lives to him as well as much as i love learning about god as much as i love studying the bible and the scriptures and all of that um, I've had to realize and confront the the truth that the only thing that will bring lasting and real transformation is a church that declares Jesus is king with our actions and words, right? We have to live it out, right? At some point, Christians have to do more than study the Bible, but we have to live it out. We have to move the conversation from is the Bible true to is the Bible livable, (laughs) right? We got to move beyond, well, did Jesus say that too? Well, if Jesus said it, should I do it, right? Like, it has to go beyond knowledge and information. At some point, we have to be more than comforted by our faith or kept busy by our faith. We need to set out and name and confront the very roams, the very real powers and, and things in our lives that are shaping this world. Some of those things look like fear, insecurity, greed, lust power desire to control pain hate sin idols of all kinds right these are the things shaping our world if jesus isn't king these are the things that will form our lives if jesus isn't the authority in our lives and so the invitation today as we wrap up this series about being the church for battle creek being Christians who are formed and shaped into a community by God with a purpose and mission. The invitation for us today is to take our faith seriously enough to let it push us into places we wouldn't normally go. Right? Paul didn't want to go to Rome on a tourist thing. He wasn't there. as I mean, I want to go now as a tourist thing. But like he didn't go and be like, let's go see some sights. He wouldn't have gone there if it wasn't for the gospel. Let God send you to Rome. We are, in fact, the church. God has gathered us together with a purpose, and that's to be a church that declares Jesus is king with our actions and our words. If we understand the entirety of the story of God in the Bible, if we see that as God's story, um, we see the beginning where sin entered in, like God created perfect creation. And sin entered in, and brokenness entered in, and has been creating chaos and pain ever since. But as Christians, we believe that God is working in the world to restore and redeem that lost uh, paradise, that lost relationship, that lost garden, right? God is at work in the world to challenge those who have laid claim as kings and lords. You can claim it, but it's not yours. The end of the Bible story, you get to the end of it the Bible presents to us a beautiful image. The Bible is celebrating a world made new that has Jesus as king ruling all nations, all people with the church by his side. Just real quick, I'm going to jump to Revelation chapter 21, very near the end of the Bible. We're just going to look at a few quick verses. It's not going to be on the screen. Um, You don't need to turn there unless you want to. But I want you to hear this image of This is where the Bible is going. This is where the story of Jesus is going. This is where the story of God is going. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. The story of God ends with all things having been made new. And the one on the throne who says, I am the Alpha and Omega, is Jesus. We are in the middle of this story. like We're in the middle of this story where Jesus is at work toppling the powers and principalities that rule the world, that claim to be Lord. The victory was won on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday morning, but it takes time for all the world to come under the authority, the kingship of Jesus. There's still some... Rebels, rebellions going on. There's some people that haven't heard Jesus as king. There's still some people that refuse to acknowledge Jesus as king. But we as the church get to experience life under the leadership of King Jesus now. We as the church are invited to participate in that grand story, that trajectory of history as God makes all things new. So let us continue to commit to be a church that declares jesus is king with our actions and with our words let us ask ourselves how do our words announce to the world that jesus is king how do we surrender our words to the authority of king jesus how do our actions announce that jesus is king and how do we surrender our actions to the authority of jesus we don't just want to know a better way. That would be tragic, to be sinking in sin and brokenness and to hear of a better way, to know of a better way, but not to live the, be- the better way. We don't want to just know about new life in Jesus, but we want to live this new life in Jesus. And as our eyes look outside of our church into our communities, we can confess and acknowledge the truth that Battle Creek needs to be remade, reshaped, not by the powers of the world, but by the authority of King Jesus. According to Jesus' plans, according to Jesus' will. So let us commit to being a church that declares Jesus is king with our actions and with our words invite the worship team to come and lead us in a moment of response. As they come, let me pray. Heavenly Father, Paul and Peter went to Rome to declare Jesus as king. It took boldness. It took trust. It took faith. But I think The image of the scales falling off Paul's eyes when he met Jesus meant that he finally saw the world for what it was. He saw that the world needed salvation. That the world needed Jesus. And so he had to go to Rome. He had to look the brokenness and the darkness in the face and say, You have no authority here anymore. There's a new king. You can think you're in charge. But Jesus defeated death on the cross. And the resurrection is evidence that there is new life in Christ. The resurrection is a hope for those who follow him to experience new life from God. And so they went right to the most powerful people in, in the most powerful empire in the world and said, you're not in charge. <laughs> the boldness. And Father, there are areas in our lives and in the lives of our loved ones who are being ruled by kings that aren't Jesus. Father, help us to declare. Help us to introduce them to King Jesus. Help us to surrender our lives to your authority and invite others to do the same. Father, you have good things planned for us. Sometimes we think we know better. Sometimes the world says it knows better. We are grateful that you are our king, that Jesus is in charge of all of creation, restoring, redeeming. And we hold on to that promise. In the new Jerusalem, there'll be no more tears, no more suffering, no more death. And that you will be a God who dwells amongst his people intimately. Father, help us be bold in our faith. Help us to declare Jesus is king. We thank you and we love you. It's in his name we pray.